James, I'm already out of coffee. We haven't started yet. What else is new? Yep, it must be Podcast Saturday. It is Podcast Saturday. <laughs> good morning. Yep. Good good tomorrow. For some of us. For some others of us. for others of us who are going through harvest and drying right now, it's not such a good morning. No. It's just constant exhaustion. Because they don't listen. Oh. They don't listen. They don't listen. Or they haven't listened. I think your expectations are, are maybe need to be reset. Okay, here's the deal. Pay the freaking $5 and go back and listen to the back catalog and listen to the drying <laughs> episodes on how to dry and building a dryer. For the love of God, please do so, it. So I'm on the website right now, and we have nice categories of the podcast by topic on the right-hand side of every single page. And we call this section Off the Bind Drying and Processing. Mm-hmm. And there are nine episodes collectively between processing and drying. The drying stuff, in fairness, is is a little ways back there. But you're right; you got to get through the, the little paywall there to hear what we talked about with Dan. But I think we're going to revisit some drying today. Oh, we are. We are. <laughs> we are going to revisit it because, damn, guys, gals, I'm frustrated and a little and a little hurt. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we talk about this in everything we do. We talked about it when it came to scientific method is that the 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 easy path is the path you take. So the easy path is to say, hey, how do I do this instead of going and looking for the info that's already out there? Well, and it's it it's that disparity between what you want to believe is true and what actually is. And and the the driver to moving you towards what you want to believe is true is usually dollar signs. Yep, yep. The, the the other thing I'm going to steal steal the joke from you is that it's been a year and a half since we recorded some of those original dryer episodes. Can have thermodynamics laws changed since then that maybe we need to update that information? COVID has not impacted the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> okay. Nothing has changed. Nothing uh, has you... changed in hundreds and thousands and since the universe began. Well, not true. Not true. Global, like, global warming, you know, I mean... It's like 10, to the, fi- 10 to the 15 seconds after the universe formed, thermodynamics probably changed a little bit. But okay. other than that... But, but since, early, since mid-2019, when we first talked about drying, the, that's all still fairly accurate. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, thermodynamics on the human time scale have not changed. Good to know. Yeah, so I figured uh, let's... Let's discuss some of the recent uh, experiences of the listening audience over their drying session in the Southern Hemisphere, and perhaps our family in the Northern Hemisphere can learn from that and adjust appropriately. I think that's a good plan. How's that sound? Sound, Sounds good. Plus, I can rant a little bit. So this will be drying slash rant episode, maybe? Yeah, I think it'll end up in both categories. Yeah, probably. So this will be number 10 in the drying category, folks. God. Number okay. 10 on our 105 Summit episodes. So a solid uh-huh. 10% of the catalog of right. drying and processing, if I'm doing my math right. Statistics also haven't changed dramatically. Not time. so much. No, not so much. Um, you know, Greg, one of my favorite sayings, right? You can do whatever you want. I, I, it, is, it is probably my absolute least favorite thing that you say. In this case, when it comes to drying, you can't. Do what I say. End of story. <laughs> that's all I'm good. That's... Please, because you, you're frustrating yourselves because you're trying to outthink thermodynamics. This is not 
the James way of doing things. This is not the Dan way of doing things. This is the laws of the universe as we know it way of doing things. So I think we need to talk a little bit about our understanding of those laws and how that impacts our drying process. And that's everything from how you design your dryer to how you operate your dryer to what your expectations are going to be of your dryer and drying process. So kind of all the things, all the things drying. So I think we can break that down into, uh, into a couple of groups. So how does stuff dry and what is that, what does that concept of dry mean? What, what is happening? Well, hops are losing water. So things are drying out. Very good. That's exactly what's happening. But the process of that, how does that happen? Right. How do you get water to want to leave a hop cone? You, ooh, ooh, I'm holding up my hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. You, you want that water to have a drier place to go so that it balances the environment within and without, without the hop cone. Wow, Greg, homeostasis, mm -hmm. right? Also called fixed law of diffusion, where things move from a high concentration to a low concentration. So yeah, so if a, a, a hop cone, a wet hop cone is let's say 75% moisture by weight. But inside of the waxy cuticle, so everything basically from the very edge of the outside of the plant tissue in is completely moisture saturated, right? So we could call that 100% humidity, let's say inside of, of the actual plant it's, uh, cone itself. Anything less than 100%, on the outside of that cone is going to, what's going to happen to the water? It's going to go from an area of high concentration, which is in the cone, to an area of low concentration, which is the air. So the net effect is moisture loss occurs in the cone. The cone f loses mass because, well, there's no water or less water in it now. And we call that effect drying. That effect of drying going from high concentration to low concentration, what's going to happen if you do nothing? If you just leave it sit there, it's going to come to a point at which the moisture in the cone is balanced with the moisture in the air. And we call that an equilibrium moisture content. That makes sense, right? Because if the cone is, is in the air at the same moisture content, there's no driver for that moisture to go anywhere. Sure. They're equal. Makes sense. It, it does. It does. Everything follows the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's apply this to drying hops. And this could be, I don't care if you've got a backyard, 10 plants that you're drying, or you've got 10, 20, 50, 100 acres. The principles, the thermodynamics are the same. You have to get the water out of those cones in order so they don't rot and have, you know, quality problems. Again, back catalog stuff. Listen to that. That's why we dry. How you do it is going to be based on your scale. The the how you do it is the, the methods that you're going to impart in this whole process. If you're that small backyard grower, are you going to build, build a big elaborate dryer? Probably not. You, you might want to because you're all things hops and beer and this is cool to geek out on. But do you need to? No. You need to provide an environment where the moisture wants to leave those hop cones in a way that doesn't damage the cone or cause quality problems. Don't put them in a microwave. 
<laughs> would that drive the moisture out? Absolutely it would. And believe me, there are people and there are patents out there for microwave hop dryers. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, Dan, it's about it's about speed and efficiency. So, it, exactly. And quality. No better way to get moisture out of a hop cone than to boil it using microwave radiation. Um, okay. But you're also going to have quality problems from, you know, mm -hmm. everything else. Yeah. That's going to take everything out of your hop cone, including all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And that high energy is going to create some new things in there you probably don't want either. But the idea is to get that moisture out of the cone. And so you provide an environment in which the, the moisture is uh, persuaded to leave the cone. It wants to leave the cone. How do you persuaded. do that? Yeah, persuaded. How do you do that? Well, you, you give that cone an environment in which the air is drier than the cone. So there's less moisture in the air than there is in the cone. And the bigger that differential is, the faster that moisture is going to leave the hop cone. Mm -hmm. Just because it's a, that difference in level, the gradient as we call it, is big. The bigger the gradient is, the faster the diffusion happens. So the faster the moisture is gonna leave the cone and go into the air. Yep. The closer those things come to equilibrium, to equal, the longer it's gonna take because there's what we call less potential less less energy there less reason for that water to want to move from the cone to the air which means the end of that drying process it, it things slow down dramatically Ooh, big time and if you chart it it's exponential so what that means is as you get drier and drier and drier you know to your to your target eight percent moisture content it takes more and more energy to get that water out of the cone and into the air mm-hmm how how do you what do you what do you mean james what do you mean by energy well if you had let me look at my notes here yes i did take notes okay we'll get to that in a second how how you provide that energy but that's the that's the goal is that you have to drive you have to create an environment in which you drive that differential and people are now listening and be like duh i know that do you? Because I beg to differ <laughs> based on what I've seen on, on Facebook and Instagram and all the other various grams. Uh, I don't think that's the thing. Uh, it probably isn't. But yeah, hey guys, gals, we're, we're trying to reinvent the wheel. So let's keep this first point in mind. We need to create a, a, a gradient, a differential that drives the water out of the cone into the air. That's what we're trying to do. That's point number one. We'll talk about how we do this in a second. Now, imagine you're doing this in a chamber, and it's sealed. And you put your hops in there. They're at 75% moisture content. You, you've got air in the chamber that's really dry. Let's say 15% relative humidity for its temperature, so really dry. Those hops are going to lose moisture, lose moisture, lose moisture, until it becomes, uh, until there's an equilibrium between the air and the cone. But let's say that that's true if all those cones were just one layer deep. Let's say now you put two or three or four layers deep of hop cones on a solid surface. Now you've created a barrier where the cones that are on the surface are experiencing this really dry ambient air at 15% relative humidity. But all the cones underneath of it 
they initially experience that until all the little air pockets in between the cones fill up with moisture. Now that differential is very, very, very low. So there's no reason for those cones that are buried underneath of it to dry because the air that, that it has to move the moisture into is already saturated. Yep, there's no, there's no differential anymore, and there's nowhere for that moisture to go. Correct. So you get a big old wooden spoon, like when you're making a cauldron of witch potion, and you just mix the thing up, right? And just, you know, That's one way to do it. Shuffle things. You could do that. You could shuffle things. So what are you doing when you shuffle that bed up? You're allowing that air that's saturated further down in the bed to mix with the air that's drier and net you get to a drier air but that air is ultimately filling up with moisture because remember this is a closed system so the whole thing's going to slow down slow down slow down generally stirring hops is not a good idea certainly once they start to get below about 30 percent because you start to knock the lupulin off the bracts ah Right. As, so, as my wife, the photographer, always says, when she drops something, now it's out of focus. Now it's out of focus, correct. Uh, back in the day when hop-drying buildings, oasts, would have a, an oast master, they would literally, they'd, they'd get in the bed without their shoes on and roll up their pants and they'd shuffle around. <laughs> they would, in order to stir the hop bed. They would also sometimes, in, in old world Europe, they would lay down like strings across the hotbed, like, um, you know, like twine. Mm-hmm. And they'd put hops on top of it, sort of like that little ribbon you put underneath your batteries and your little devices. Uh-huh. And they'd pull that string every, you know, once through the cycle. And that would be all the stirring that they would get. Because they didn't have a lot of, they didn't have forced air. They had natural convection air to be drawn through the hotbed to take that warm or that 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 moisture filled air further down in the bed and get it to move through. So you don't have to stir the bed to to mix the air. You can actually have air drawn through the bed. So you're taking that moisture laden air away and you're bringing in drier air hopefully behind it. Makes sense, right? Mhm. Sure. So that's one way to get uniformity in your drying bed. So now imagine that chamber same chamber closed we've got hops that let's say are six inches deep and without moving air you're just going to get dry on the surface and everything beneath that's going to be wet wetter probably a lot wetter but if we put a fan in there in order to move that air because remember air is a fluid so as we move that fluid through the bed we're introducing that drier air into those spaces and allowing that gradient, that differential to reestablish itself. So water's going to want to leave it, want to leave the cone into the air because you're providing drier air behind it. Dan calls that cups. Think about the air and its ability to hold water as a cup, a pint glass. A lot of pint glasses in that air. And the amount of liquid, let's say water in that pint glass, let's call that a relative humidity. So the amount of water that's in the air is relative to the temperature because air expands as it gets warmer, and as it expands, it has more room to hold more water. Makes sense? Perfect sense. so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our cup, if it's at 15% relative humidity, our pint glass, it's 
got just the little dregs in there just before your bartender says, hey, can I fill that up for you? That's that's So he's got a lot of room, right, to put more water in that from hops. Did you say just the little dregs in there? Just the little dregs. Dregs, but we'll call it little dregs. And from okay. now on, it shall be called little dregs. Outstanding. <laughs> so hopnologists, I expect to see in the what you're drinking pictures to show show us all your little Greg's in the bottom of your glass. <laughs> oh, I, I set myself up for that one. Ah, <laughs> oh, you did. It's going to yeah. be awesome. So you've got a lot of room in that cup, in that pint glass, to pick up moisture. And as you're pumping air through that bed, those cups are going through and they're picking up moisture and picking up moisture. But at some point, that glass is going to get full. And its ability to pick up moisture is going to slow down or almost stop. And you're going to get to the point where the moisture content in the cone and the moisture content in the air are at equilibrium and your drying is going to stop. And that's what a lot of growers are experiencing, at least based on what I saw on the social media uh, this past drying season as it's currently happening right now, too. But they're saying, well, it was doing great, but now I'm just I'm not seeing anything. It's taking forever to dry. Well, it's because your air and your cones have hit an equilibrium moisture content. And they're not going to continue to dry unless you take those cups in the air, your pint glass, and do something with it. You have to change the dynamic. You have to bring that differential back somehow. So how do you do that? How do you get a full cup to want to take more water? Well, you make the cup bigger. You could absolutely make the cup bigger. So if you make the cup bigger, remember how I said air expands when it gets warm? I think you did say that. I did say that. So by making the cup bigger, you're adding heat to that air. So if you add heat to the air, you're going to make the cup bigger, actually a lot bigger, and you're going to increase that drying potential. Now that's a way to, to increase that driving force to get the moisture out of the cone into the air, is to add heat, make the cup bigger. Mm-hmm. What's another way? Um, you can empty the cup. Ooh, empty the cup. So... The cup size doesn't change, but you take the water out of the cup. Mm-hmm. So you dehumidify right. the cup. You dehumidify the cup. That's exactly right. Those are your two options, guys, heat or dehumidification. That's wouldn't, it. Well, wouldn't uh, maybe this is semantics with the dehumidification, but I would think a third option is introduce new cups. You're, and to me, that's the fan approach is you're, you're, pushing, you're pushing empty cups into the mix and removing the full ones. Sort of. That's, that's the next... That's the next part of our equation, okay. is the number of cups. Did not. Oh, gotcha. Did not mean to jump right. ahead. Right. So that's, that's where we're going. So you really have two methods to increase the driving potential. You can either add heat to make the cup bigger, or you can remove moisture out of the cup, which is dehumidification. That's it. End of story. Game over. Those are your two choices. Now, let's, let's go to the next part three which is the number of cups in this chamber. Go back to our chamber where we have some sort of fan moving air through the bed in order to effectively stir the air so that we're always introducing drier air to different levels in the hotbed in order to get a uniform drying. That way we don't have to stir it. The rate at which that drying is going to occur is impacted by how full the cup is primarily, and secondarily, the number of cups that you have. If you have in that bed 10 cups going through 
at 15% relative humidity. So 15% full of Greggs in the bottom. And you've got... <laughs> damn, damn it. <laughs> right. And you've got... So let's say you've got 10 of those going through. Let's say you have three of those cups at 15% moving through per second. And you have nine of those cups moving through at 15% moving through per second. Which one's going to take more moisture out of those cones faster? I feel this like is, I need my calculator for this one. This is not a trick question. You've got 15% and... And now you've got more cups. So the the more more cups you can move through it, the faster you're going to remove that moisture because there's plenty of space in those cups to suck the moisture out. Yep. And you got more cups. So in the early stages of drying, the number of cups that you have is probably less important when compared to how empty the cup is. I, I can see that because introducing a whole bunch of cups in high humidity d does nothing for you. Well, it, that's the only way to improve drying efficiency if your air, if your cups are 85%. It's, it's, it's just to crank a whole bunch of them through. Add yeah. more cups. So in south central Wisconsin, in August when we're harvesting and early September even, when the nights get down to, can get down to 50 degrees and the we hit the dew point, which means the point at which the air can no longer hold any more water and it starts condensing on everything, we're effectively at saturated air. Not quite. You might think it's 100%, but it isn't. There's still drying capacity in there. So in order to get my hops to dry at all, I have to move a ridiculous amount of cups <laughs> through, through that hop bed in order to make that happen. Fresh hops off the bind, even when it's raining outside, there's still enough drying potential in the air to dry your hops, to get them from that 75% moisture content down into the 50% range, if you're moving enough cups. Right. And if you're at the start of your drying process, as you're getting toward the end, there's, there's not enough. Oh, that no. Point. Yeah, that's, that's almost pointless. So not almost pointless. It's absolutely pointless. Mm -hmm. So in the early stages of drying, you could move enough cups through there, even if it is, quote, the air is saturated, which it isn't. It is up in the stratosphere, but it isn't down here. So moving more cups will get you on the right path. But once that air, once the hops are like down to 30% or even 40% moisture content, moving that saturated air, those full cups through that hop bed actually isn't going to do you anything. It's, and you might actually put moisture back in the cones sure. that you lost during the day. It's equilibrating, right? That's when you have to say, okay, I've got more, more cups isn't helping me. So I either have to make these cups bigger or I have to empty the cups. And that's where your heat or dehumidification comes in. Now, when you do that, or if you, if you increase the cup or you remove water from the cup, you change that drying potential dramatically. You don't need as many cups at that point. At this point, what's more important is the differential between the air moisture content and the cone, not the number of cups that you're delivering. The number of cups are really important in the beginning because you want to get that moisture out of there as fast as possible. So the more cups you can introduce, the more water moisture you're going to take away, regardless of really what the, how much liquid is in that cup. Right, but as you, that, know it's, you know it's less liquid than your hop. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. 
but when you get down below that equilibrium moisture content between the air and the hop cone, now you need to change the state of play. So now you're going to get rid of the moisture by dehumidification, or you're going to increase the size of the cup through heat. But you don't need as many cups. So you can turn your air speed down. Because your cones are also getting lighter at this point. So you don't need as much, you know, they're, they're becoming less resistant to the force of air. Mm-hmm. And as Dan is very uh, popular for saying, air is lazy. It's going to find the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. So if you have an inconsistencies in your hotbed in height and dryness, let's get a dry pocket in there, something for whatever reason, it's maybe thinner and it's drying before everything else. If you're adding air from below and you're pressurizing the hotbed, that air could overcome, the force of the air could overcome sort of the resistive force of those hop cones, and you get a blowhole. Boom. And now all that air is going to whistle through that hole and not through the rest of your hotbed. Yeah. That's no good. Right. So that's, we're getting to the next phase of the of your whole dryer here. That's, that's part two of our talk. Uh, circling back around to this whole idea of air and cups and speed and volume. When you start drying, more cups. Lots of cups. Give me all the cups. <laughs> <laughs> when you get to the point, and this is using whatever air you happen to have. Do you need to go in and hit your hops with uh, with high heat or dehumidification right from the get-go? No, you don't. Use the outside air. Now, some people would say, well, out, you know, the big growers, they use heated drying. It's like, exactly, because they got to turn their crop in 8 to 10 hours and empty their dryers to fill it up with the next harvest. Last time I looked, ain't none of you those people. So why are you doing that? You don't need to. There's, you've heard me talk loads and loads and loads about the quality issues around that using heat. But regardless if you're going to use heat to finish off or you're going to use heat to start or demification, doesn't matter. But you should not need to use conditioned air to get your hops down under 50% moisture content. Even if it's raining outside, you should be able to do that with 24 hours worth of air movement through your hotbed. So that's like your worst case scenario. Sure, sure. Doesn't have to be any more complex than that. Then once you get to that equilibrium moisture content, you're like, wow, it's just not really drying any further. Then you know that those hops aren't going to dry any more or much more, certainly within a time frame that you're going to like, unless you change the state of play. So you either got to empty the cup or make the cup bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Now, you're probably thinking, because we talk all the time about the fact that he did, was that a snort when you talk yeah, about pff, people thinking? Yeah, think. you're, you you're probably think. thinking, you know, we've you said multiple times here about, you know, heat makes the cup bigger, heat makes the cup bigger. Well, you've heard us say that heating, heated drying can be bad. We haven't talked about the downside. No. Well, this, this is all about thermodynamics and physics. This is mm-hmm. isn't, We haven't talked about quality aspects. Right. I, I'm just worried about someone who listened to the first 10 minutes and said, oh, they said I could heat things. I'm done. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Oh, I thought we... I thought No, I thought this was a <laughs> do what I say, not what you want episode. You can add heat to increase the size of the cup, or you can dehumidify, or dehumidify to remove water from the cup, moisture from the cup, which is faster which is faster? Heat, by sure. far. Because you're going to take that cup from a pint glass up to a 55-gallon barrel pretty quickly mm-hmm. and easily. The ceiling and is 
more or less unlimited. <laughs> it's huge, right? And so those little Gregs in the bottom of your gl- pint glass are going to get a lot. Le- it's going to be like a biofilm inside of a inside of a uh, fifty-five gallon drum, right? So you're going to create a huge potential by adding heat, but you're also going to drive off aroma compounds just because they are volatile. Isn't aroma one of the major reasons we put hops into beer? I'm just checking. Well, it depends on who you ask. Uh, so that is a the in today's day and age, the major reason to use actual hops in beer because you can use alpha acid extracts to do bittering. Uh, so that's that's why heat is used is only for speed. But you are making a you're you're compromising your quality, the ultimate quality that you could have in that hop cone from an aroma standpoint by using heat. Mm-hmm. Well, how much heat depends on what you're looking for. So some aroma compounds volatilize at lower temperatures than others. James, you mean if I've got a warm day, like 90 degrees Fahrenheit, or even it could be up to 100 in some places during drying season, that's going to drive off aroma compounds? Yep. But there's an interesting thing that happens with moisture evaporation. When moisture goes from liquid to a vapor, it takes energy to do that. And through the act of, let's call it evaporation, you can actually end up cooling things. So you might have heard of evaporative cooling. And we use it in greenhouses all the time. So as moisture evaporates off a substrate, if there's air moving through it, that air gets cooled. Physics, it's awesome. Same thing happens with your hotbed. So you could be putting 100 degree air through there. And if there's a lot of moisture in there and it's evaporating, it's actually going to drop the temperature of that air going through the system as the water evaporates. Not a lot, but some. Mm-hmm. So, so Because I've heard people say, well, I'm putting 100 degrees through here and my hops don't feel warm. Right, they won't until they start to get drier and drier and there's less moisture to remove and there's less evaporation and less energy uh, transfer happening. Yeah. Then this, is, gonna... this is, sorry, this is why you sweat is to cool your body down. Yep. And when you're dehydrated and you can't sweat as much, that's when you pass out. And that's why living in super humid climates in the summer can suck because you just can't cool yourself well. Unless you're, all, unless you're always cool. Yeah, well, that is not me. Never been cool. <laughs> don't care to be cool. I care to be smart and right. I don't care to be cool. Um, okay, so we talked about the cups. We talked about how to get, how to alter the cups. We talked about moisture transfer, energy transfer. We haven't really talked about the dryer itself. True. And what's important there. And I've seen every year, every year for, it seems, at least the past decade and a half, there are folks that try to reinvent the dryer. What do our southern in-laws say? Bless their heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I get it. I understand the, the thought process around, well, I'm going to move this. I'm, I've got to move air through my hotbed because James said so. And he said more cups are better. And so here's this fan I've got, which fits in my window. And man, it moves a lot of air, so it's going to work great in my hotbed. Right? These little window... Or sometimes I've even seen some folks take an oscillating fan, like you'd put on your desk and turn it on his back and try to blow air up through a hotbed. Those fans are meant to move air, a lot, a large volume of air, several thousand cubic feet per minute, CFM, but with zero resistance to it. Mm-hmm. Zero. So it's just, it's a pump, right? It's a pump pumping water from one swimming pool to another. And the only 
resistance to it moving is air molecules pushing against other air molecules. That's it. Now, if we take and put, let's say it's a window air, uh, you know, just one of those big box fans in your window. Let's say your curtain gets sucked to the back of it such that it blocks a lot of that airflow. What happens to that fan? It goes from its normal drone to, right? And all of a sudden it's like, you're like, oh shit, my fan's going to explode. <laughs> Can that sound please be the bumper? Yeah. It now it is. Uh, you know, I never do that. I always find something else. Oh, I know. <laughs> those, those fans, they're called axial fans. They're not designed to move air against f- resistance. Mm-hmm. We call that pressure drop for loads oh. of reasons. That's stupid engineer terms. I don't know why they use it. Inches of water and all this crazy antiquated stuff. But yeah, we call that pressure drop. So a fan has two ratings. It has a volume of air it can move at any given level of resistance. And it's usually called, it's called pressure drop or WC water column. And they use it even, even in, uh, outside of the U S it's kind of a standard fan terminology of inches of water that this fan can, can work against. So those are the two numbers you need to know. You need to know, okay, I need a lot of cups, but I need to know that this fan is designed to push that air through the resistance of the hotbed and that resistance changes increases the deeper and deeper the hotbed gets because you got all those little channels and tiny little cracks and crevices you've got to push air around and so as you as that gets deeper you get more and more of those and the more energy the more power it takes in your fan to push that air through and if you have the wrong type of fan it's not going to do anything it's going to pressurize Let's, if you're pushing air up through your hotbed, it's going to pressurize the bottom, what we call plenum, the space beneath the bed. It's going to pressurize it, and you'll get some seepage of air going up through the top, but not a lot. And that fan is acting as a pump, and it gets to the point where it can't push any more air into that space. But it's still trying. It's still spinning. As you can imagine, if you had a water pump and you're trying to pump it into a reservoir that isn't going to hold any more water, the pump's going to burn out. It's just going to die. And the same thing will happen with your fan. It's going to work so hard, it's going to, if you look at what we call the horsepower or the fan power curve, it's going to work so hard that it's going to burn itself out. That says your fan, it's not the fact that you didn't have a, Big, quote, big enough fan, as in you couldn't move enough CFMs because that that box fan in your window could move several thousand CFM. And let's say, but James, you you know, based on my dryer design, I only need 800, and this can move 2,000, so what's the problem? Well, it'll do that at zero inches of water, zero resistance. It's it's a, I liken it to torque. It's a torque issue. Sure. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So... Right-sizing your fan is the absolute number one most critical aspect to designing and operating your dryer. And it is the absolute number one, with a bullet, (laughs) failure we see every year in hop dryer design. Because fans are expensive. The right fan is expensive. And trying to figure out where to get the right fan is hard. 
because that box fan I have in my window should work, right? No, it won't work. Stop it. Right size your fan. You need to be thinking about what we call centrifugal fans, like squirrel cage fans that are in like your furnace. You need to look at uh, fans that are designed to push air through ducting and all sorts of crazy, you know, turns and twists because that every turn and twist and change of direction creates resistance to airflow, which creates pressure drop. Well, James, how big of a fan do I need? That depends on your dryer design and how deep of a bed you're, you're drying. So there's a lot of it depends in here, and I know people hate me saying that, and most of the time I'm saying it facetiously, but in this case, there's a lot of variables here. And you can't take dryer design for granted because you will end up being frustrated and pulling your hair out because you thought in your mind's eye, when you designed your dryer, you're like, well, I'm just moving air from here to here. What's the problem? It's not that simple. Every, you know, you can say, yeah, this fan does 10,000 cubic feet per minute at 1.5 inches of pressure drop, but you have it ducted through a six inch wide hole. Now it's, now it's experiencing probably a thousand CFM at four inches of pressure drop and you're not getting any drying. So, so yet, much so much more resistance than it ever was built to handle. Correct. Absolutely. Same thing as if you're doing this in a garage and you've got a fan that can provide that volume, but all of the fresh air intake is coming through this tiny little window. No, you're creating massive pressure drop and that fan is not working at its optimum potential. Well, best case, it's not working optimally. Worst case, to your point earlier, you're just going to burn it out. <laughs> it catches fire. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. Then, then I, your hops will be real dry. <laughs> and I've, I've, I've seen fans, motors burn up, and the magic smoke gets out, and it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. The magic just, smoke? Magic smoke. That's what happens. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to instantly regret it. It's not any more difficult than that. And people say, oh, great, drying's easy. No. But you don't, if you keep these three factors in mind... Right, this idea of moisture equilibrium and the process of moisture removal, how to manipulate the air characteristics in order to improve or change the driving force that's either making a cup bigger with heat or removing the water with dehumidification, and the mechanism by which you're going to stir the air through your hotbed, which is your fan. Those three factors... If you understand those and ask questions about those and really dig into the hows and the whys, you will be successful at drying your hops in a reasonable amount of time. If you don't take the time to understand that and ask those questions and use the resources at your disposal, you're going to fail. When you fail at trying all the other work you did, the other 363 days (laughs) that led to your drying, uh, it's all for now. Don't care to be cool. I care to be smart and.